Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And for those of you online, if you go over to our website, Foreigner Church, you can download the teaching notes, follow along if you'd like to. We're talking about extravagant love and devotion to Jesus. Father, we come before you. We love you. We love that you love us. We love that you love your son. We want to experience the joys, the riches of knowing you and loving you, Lord, in an extravagant way in our day. Lord, in the hour of busyness and distraction, in the hour when so many things are clawing for our attention, we want to return to that place of pure devotion before you. We ask that your presence would wash us this morning. You would give us insight. You would give fresh resolve to touch the things that are in your heart, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, the Lord in this generation is establishing among his people the first commandment in the first place. And some of you are newer to this message of extravagant devotion and love for the Lord, but it's one of our critical and foundational pieces here as a spiritual family, something that we've visited many times throughout the years. And I'm just reflecting on these two special weekends in July, all that happened here, all that was emphasized and highlighted. And all the more, I am stirred and determined to take our assignment seriously together as a spiritual family. There are many new things that the Lord is emphasizing. There are fresh waves of revelation that are coming and we're believing for an increase of the anointing of the Lord, an increase of the prophetic. And I'm coming out personally just struck by these two weekends more than ever to take our assignment as seriously and to take the things that the Lord has charged us with seriously before him. What is the Lord doing in our generation? I believe that the first and chief thing that he's doing is he is establishing the first commandment in the first place in the heart of his people. He wants that more than anything. He wants that more than our Bible knowledge, more than our gifting, more than our, the anointing to flow through our hands and mouths. I mean, he wants all of that. But more than anything, Jesus, the bridegroom, is jealous that his bride, his people, would love him with everything that they are. And if we, as the body of Christ, if we come short in this area, I believe that we really come short in everything. Because without love, Paul tells us we're just a clanging cymbal. We're just a noisy gong. We can do the works. We can do the miracles. We can know the Bible verses. We can say them. We can write about them, share them. But if our hearts don't burn with love for Jesus, then I believe that we're coming short in terms of what the Lord has emphasized and commanded through his word. Jesus called this the first and great commandment. It means that it's God's first and greatest priority right now. It's the first and greatest priority for this spiritual family. It's the first and greatest priority for what the Lord wants in the body of Christ in America. 
and across the nations. He wants more than anything his primary agenda. I mean, what he is pouring his resources into. Think about this. When you have a, an agenda, a first priority in your life, you take all of your resources and you pour it primarily into that thing. This is what the Spirit is emphasizing. He's pouring his resources into his people being brought into a place of wholehearted love and devotion before him. And it's not something that he's going to force upon the body of Christ. Rather, we're going to see through the life of Mary. It's something that is chosen and that there's a, a voluntary response in our hearts that the Lord is looking for and he's seeking for. And I believe that this is one of the most neglected, overlooked aspects throughout the Word of God. We read the Word of God for a lot of different reasons, and yet it's so easy to skip over this command. The Lord's going, no, 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 really, I really want all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. Jesus emphasized this in Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. He says, you will love the Lord your God. The idea is that we would love him with all that we are. Why? Because we are the bride of Christ that is being made ready for his appearing, the appearing of the bridegroom. And we want to stand with him in that day with burning love and devotion just like a woman would, a bride, on her wedding day that she would stand and her heart would be fully committed to the bridegroom. There wouldn't be another boyfriend present in the room. There wouldn't be a plan B. There wouldn't be a fallback plan. The Lord wants to stand before us because he doesn't have another plan. His plan is you. And he's after you and he's after the entirety of your heart and your emotions and, and your resources and your children and your generations. He is after all of it. He wants all of his people. How do we know that? We know that because he poured out everything that he was on the cross. And he held nothing back. Can you imagine if he had held something back at the cross? If he had taken the beatings and the scourgings, if he had walked a pure life and he got up to the cross and rather than laying down and pouring out his whole life, if he just said, Father, isn't this just enough? Isn't it just enough that I didn't sin? Isn't it just enough that I was beaten and flogged and, and mutilated? But I'm not really gonna go all the way, right? I really don't have to die. And I think that's the question that many Christians are in when they think of their own life. I don't really have to die, right? Like I don't really have to give up my whole life. Jesus will kind of like follow me around. I don't really have to follow him, right? And like leave everything and really like give my whole life to him. And we kind of negotiate in our hearts and our minds. We're like, Lord, I'm going to love you with 98% of my heart. And imagine, you know, a spouse or soon to be two people standing at the altar at a wedding saying to each other, you know, their vows, like, for richer, for poorer, I love you with 98% of my heart. It's like, what about that other? That other 2% is really glaring right now. It's really standing out. You know, imagine that someone like hands you a glass of water because you're so thirsty and, you know, you're just like, oh, I just need water so bad. They're like, here you go. It's 98% pure, only 2% sewage. Can, can you just get out the sewage part too? No, 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 no. Just be thankful that it's 98% pure. I mean, can you imagine going to a spouse and just being like, just be thankful I love you with 98% of my heart. 
Isn't that enough for you? Aren't you pleased with that? Come on, you're so, why are you so ungrateful? And Lord's looking at his people. He's going, it's gotta be all. That's what I died for. That's what I'm calling you into. I want all of my people, and here's, here's what we know. We know that there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and power that is gonna be released across the earth. We know that there's a great harvest of souls. We know that there's coming trouble and pressure and persecution is gonna increase, right? We know these things. The Lord wants to bring unbelievers into the body of Christ. And can you imagine if he was to bring the great harvest, you know, hundreds of millions, let's say, in this harvest being swept into the kingdom and he brings them in to a people that don't even love God with all that they are. How are they gonna be discipled? What are they gonna be discipled into? What are they gonna be brought into? If the call for wholeheartedness is so rare in the earth, what happens when Jesus, the one that will receive, this is the, this is the reward of his suffering. The nations are his. That's why he suffered. And imagine this harvest coming in to a lukewarm, compromised, busy, distracted church. I mean, it's terrifying. Imagine giving an account to the Lord for that. You know, and he's like, I sent these newly, newly birthed Christians into your home and, and into your life, but your heart was only partially devoted to me. I sent you the reward of my son. So there's an urgency in the midst of this. And the Lord is insisting on this first and greatest. It is the greatest thing he wants. It's the first thing he wants. And he will not back down from this. He's not going to back down. And as much as we want to make the peripheral issues the main thing, the Lord's going, no, 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 this is the main thing. And I appreciate all the different you know, messages and emphasis that are happening across believers in the body of Christ. And we can appreciate those things as long as they're seen rightly in their right priority. God's primary point, his main priority is that our hearts would be fully devoted to him. The kingdom of heaven, paragraph B, it doesn't work when God's people don't see this as essential and non-negotiable. It doesn't really work. It doesn't really go forward in the way that God intended. He's, he goes, I want you to be all in on me. I'm all in on you. I want you to be all in on me. I want your heart to be connected to mine. And this is what is so interesting about this is that Jesus commanded us to love God. Just pause on that. Think about that for a moment. God commanded us to love him. You can't fake love. Nobody's into the arranged marriage with God. Like you will learn to love him. <laughs> he goes, no, no, no. I'm commanding you to love me, to give me your affection and your emotion and your devotion. Don't just give me lip service. Don't just write it on your bio page and on your website and put it in your newsletter and tell people about it. I love Jesus. He goes, I want you to actually connect with this, for real. Jesus is a real person. He knows when we're faking love. 
He's going, I, want, I know, you know when someone really loves you. And it's not just by what they say, it's what they do and, and how they respond and, and how they act. And he's going, I, you gotta really press into this in order to walk in this wholehearted love and devotion before me. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen because you said it. We raise our hand and sing the song, I love you with all that I am. That, that doesn't do it. Actually, matter of fact, the Lord rebuked the children of Israel many, many times throughout Scripture that they gave him service from their lips, but their hearts were far from him. He wants your heart. He wants you to actually love him and me. He wants us to actually love him, to actually feel, to actually connect, to actually obey, to serve out of this place of love and pure devotion before God. And that's why we feel stuck. Because who can conjure up feelings of love and emotion? You can't, and I can't. And that's why God, through his word, reveals over and over and demonstrates over and over his love, his affection, his beauty, his passion for his people, because his love will awaken our love. We can't stir up love on our own. Rather, we have to connect with something that is greater so that love is awakened within us and we grow in this wholehearted command to love him. I mean, this is so offensive. This is so intense. It really is to the natural mind that God would command us to love him, not serve him, not just serve him, to love him. Well, these two stories of Mary, Mary of Bethany, demonstrate two different times that Mary is lost in this extravagant devotion to the Lord. And it seems extravagant. And it seems radical. And I want to unapologetically and wholeheartedly call us to this. Everyone that is here, everyone that's listening on the web stream, I want to unapologetically call us to this wholehearted devotion that Mary carried in her heart. And the first account that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 10 shows us that her own family did not like her steps of devotion. They did not like how devotion actually practically played out in the home. They didn't like it her own sister. The second story shows how the disciples, which is indicative of the body of Christ, does not like when people cross that threshold, that line, and say, I'm going to live radically devoted to you. It wasn't the Romans who got mad at Mary. It wasn't the pagans. It wasn't the Pharisees. They don't, they don't care about Mary. The resistance that comes when we determine in our heart comes from our family members and the body of Christ. Initially, at least. Let's look at this Luke chapter 10. A certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are all siblings. And they're these dear friends of the Lord. I love this because we don't see them operating in some powerful ministry. We don't see Mary, you know, in the book of Acts, doing signs and wonders and miracles. That's what makes her story even more remarkable is that she's just kind of normal. And this call to wholehearted devotion and first commandment love is for the normal. It's meant to be introductory. It's meant to be that baseline call of Christian discipleship and devotion before him. It's for all of us. 
It's not for the ones that are just in full-time ministry. It's not just for the ladies that are just like lost, swaying in the love of God, you know, just so nice. They just want to worship all day. It is the call to everyone that has been called and named of Jesus. Well, Martha welcomes Jesus into her home, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And interestingly, Every time that Mary appears throughout the gospel, she's found at the feet of Jesus. It's incredible. But she's found at the feet of Jesus doing different things. She's found here listening to his word. She falls at his feet in another story to plead for the resurrection of her brother, Lazarus. She falls at his feet again when she breaks the alabaster flask, we're gonna look at that. But every time she's found at the feet of Jesus and she's not just some hysterical woman who's so emotional and it's just like, oh, the master's here, you know, fall down in front of him and she's just an emotional basket case. I believe that Mary was seeing something in Jesus that no one else could see. Do you know what happens in heaven around the throne of God when they see God? Do you know what they do? They fall down before him. They're overcome at the majesty, at the splendor, and at the beauty of who God is. And something about Jesus was touching Mary's heart that wasn't touching her sister and that wasn't touching the disciples. But I mean, God incarnate was there in front of her. And she's just going, I just gotta get before him. I just gotta look at him. And and whatever he says... I'm gonna hang on every word. This is the holy, transcendent God, the ancient of days made flesh and in my living room. I've gotta savor every moment. Do you feel it? Are you tracking with what I'm talking about here? Imagine God showed up in your house and he begins to speak words. What would you do? Grab the mops, throw some chicken nuggets in the oven, start going berserk? No, no. No, don't do that. Get right up as close as you can, as close as you can without dying, right? And, and just gaze at the beauty of God and, and let his words wash over you and then think about them and talk to him and, and let those words become your words. Don't squander the beauty and the revelation of who God is. Martha, in verse 40, she's distracted with much serving. She approached Jesus. She begins to rebuke her sister. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Here I am. I'm running the prayer meetings. Nobody's coming. I'm at the outreach. Nobody's here. She's mad. (laughs) She's complaining against her own sister. Then she tells her, tell her to come and help me. Don't we kind of get that attitude a little bit in ministry? I'm all alone. Why won't these people help me? I'm out here praying. I'm out here doing the works. I'm out here doing the ministry. And there's only five people with me and four of them aren't present. It's just me. (laughs) Jesus answers, Martha, Martha, you can hear, I think even the tenderness in his voice, his appeal to her heart. He says, you're worried and troubled about so many things. Your spirit in you is troubled. You don't recognize who's sitting in your own home. You don't recognize the beauty of the one that's trying to get your attention. You don't recognize the one 
the bridegroom that is here and he's so captivated with you, but your spirit is so troubled on the inside. See, he didn't rebuke Martha for working or serving. He rebuked her because she had a worried and troubled spirit on the inside. And there's a worried and troubled spirit that so easily grips the hearts of believers and we throw ourselves into ministry and we throw ourselves into our jobs and we throw ourselves into our house projects and we throw ourselves into this and into that. And we're desperately trying to get some sort of satisfaction, but inside our spirits are worried and troubled. We're distracted with serving. What began as a good intention, I'm gonna serve God, I'm gonna love people and all this stuff, has become the idol. It's become the thing that's stealing away the joy of sitting at the feet of the bridegroom, Jesus, and loving him in the way that he wants to be loved. And we have to shut it off. We have to turn it off. We have to get out. We've got to repent. We've got to get our hearts clean and pure. We've got to cry out, oh Lord, I've lost sight of who you are. Let me see you in the way that Mary sees you. Verse 42, he tells her this incredible statement. He says, Martha, one thing is needed. One thing. There's one thing that's necessary. You don't have to have all these answers right and fall in this right party and do this and say all this right and make sure you got all this understood and memorize the 150 chapters of the end times. He goes, there's one thing that's necessary. But it's that one thing that is so easily lost, even by the body of Christ, even though it's so explicit throughout the teachings in the word of God. That one thing is the thing that the enemy hates. And he will do anything to get you out of that one reality. He will do anything. He will throw anything your way, even promotion, even opportunity, even success. You know, success often steals away the one thing reality more than failure and dark wilderness seasons does. Often it's the opportunities. It's the job promotion. It's more money, more people, more influence, more this. And it's often the more that causes the worried, busy distractedness to pervade our soul. And we stop sitting at the feet of Jesus. But in our minds, we justify it. We say, well, Lord, this is just all for you. This is just all for you. The promotion, well, it's just all you, Lord. If you didn't want this, then you wouldn't have promoted me. And then when God demotes us because he's trying to get us back at his feet, when we go into a wilderness season, when everything gets shut out and our whole life is falling apart, we're back at his feet, we're crying out, oh God, send the breakthrough, send me back to the, to the good stuff. He's going, you're so worried and distracted. I was trying to deliver you out of your worry and distraction. I know so many families that move here, they move here from across the earth, come here to Kansas City, because the Lord touches their heart. The one thing, reality, we're gonna come, we're gonna do the prayer room. And yet that distracted spirit gets after us, doesn't it? It gets there so fast. Monday, we're like, one thing, I'm sitting at your feet. Tuesday, we're just going nuts, screaming in the minivan, just driving to the next thing. No thought of God. <laughs> it's okay, he loves us. 
He's going to help us. The Lord wants to deliver his people from that distracted spirit. I think Revelation 3 calls it the lukewarm spirit. It's lukewarm love. Lukewarm love isn't just lethargy laying around. Lukewarm love is distracted. You can do the works of God, work hard for God, give your money to the kingdom. You can do all this stuff. But if your heart isn't connected to his, then you're not walking in the first commandment. That's the whole thing he wants. That's why he saved us. So that we would walk in wholehearted first commandment love. Paragraph A, Mary's devotion was extravagant, not because it was so much, quote unquote, but because it was her all, her all. See, the more that we get, the harder it is to give it all to God. You've heard the story of the rich young ruler. When you have a little bit, the Lord is, is looking at every person equally. He's going, I just want your all. But if your all is a lot, it's a lot harder to give, isn't it? Because you feel the sting. You feel the cost of it. That's why the Lord is so often among the poor. That's why he's often among the lowly and the simple. It's because they don't have a lot. But what they have is an all to be given to God. The widow in the temple offering puts in her two mites. And Jesus says she gave more than anyone. Why? Because it was her all. The rich young ruler is invited to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says to him, come and follow me. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. It says that the man walked away. He was saddened in his heart because he had many things. So his all, in his mind, wasn't worth Jesus. There was more value in the stuff and in the life and the influence in the wealth than it was to lay it down for the sake of Jesus. And I think that's why the Lord says in the word, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because you gotta give up all that stuff. You gotta surrender it to God. Your heart has to be surrendered to God. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts surrendered to him. He says, give it to me. We don't have to have a lot to love Jesus extravagantly. We don't have to be in a prayer room 12 hours a day. You don't have to be called into full-time ministry, any of that, to love Jesus extravagantly. God looks at the heart. It's all about your heart. It's all about my heart. You can sit before the Lord hours a day. Again, you can do all the stuff, but if your heart isn't connected to his, it's not real. That's what he's calling us to. I want your heart connected to me. I want your heart connected to mine. Mary's found in this story, paragraph B, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's not just sitting there complacently. She is listening to his word. She is allowing the words of God, the words, guys, these are, you know, these are eternal words, words from another age, transcendent holy words. When God speaks words, it's not the way that we think. It's not just our words. He speaks to us in a way we can understand, but we're talking about this is the ancient of days made incarnate speaking words to us, all wisdom, all power, all might with our good in mind. He's going to let those words wash over you. Take them in. Take them seriously. So many are running around looking for a word from God. God, what's your will? What am I supposed to do? 
What are you saying to me? There's a whole book filled with what God is saying to us. And I'm not saying that, you know, to minimize the prophetic ministry. We need the prophetic ministry, but this book is very prophetic. Way more prophetic than me. He knows exactly what to say. He knows the, the exact message that we need so that our hearts burn with love for Jesus. Because I've given it to you all right here. So Mary's sitting there. She's allowing the word to wash her. And I don't think it's enough to just read the Bible or to study it, but we have to do it with a devotional spirit, a conversational spirit. We use this as a conversational piece to God. This isn't just a memory manual so that we stand before God above reproach and we're like, look, Jesus, I didn't sin because I memorized all the Bible verses. You know, I want, to, I want to start a conversation. Remember there's a relationship? Remember what we talked about? Christianity is a relationship, not a religion, you know, that big mantra that was running around. This is about a relationship with a man. His name is Jesus. These are his words. So when he speaks his words, then we speak those words back to him with a devotional spirit. We slow down. We read the word of God like God is talking directly to us because he is. Mary saw what others didn't in that room. That's why she was at Jesus' feet. You know, when the glory of God in heaven is revealed, the elders, the angels, they fall down. They get at the feet of God. It's a place of humility. It's a place of adoration. It's a place where it's like, I don't have the answers. Like, I'm under your words and your leadership, and I'm bringing my life, the entirety of it, under you because I trust you, and I'm entrusting my life to you. I'm entrusting my well-being. I'm entrusting my spirit. I'm entrusting my soul. I'm entrusting it to you. So I'm at your feet. I'm at your mercy, and we trust that God will speak to us through the word of God, by the spirit, the things that cause us to grow in love and to be transformed into the very thing that God wants, desires. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is the most necessary yet most neglected activity. So much, even here, in this community of sitting at the feet of Jesus and the one thing reality and all that, but I guarantee it's in our hearts one of the most neglected things. You gotta fight because everything in the culture, everything in the world is pushing against us, trying to get us into that worried, distracted spirit. One guy said, I think that the enemy would have us go on with our church services and Bible studies and all that as long as this reality didn't become real in the heart of God's people. He'll let us go on. He'll let us play church. He'll let us carry on with our teachings and our conferences and our events and our services and all that. God is after our hearts. That's what he wants. That's what we're to surrender to him. It's not easy. If it was easy, a lot more people would be doing it. Paragraph E, Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good part. I love this. Two things. First, Mary chose. 
She chose to do it. He didn't make her do it. He didn't turn on the high beams of his glory and just make her fall down. He did that at the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He turns on the high beams and they're like, woo, and they fall down. But he didn't turn on the high beams. He was just rolling low beams. Low beam Jesus. Mary chose to be at his feet. She just goes, I just gotta be before you. I know there's other things, other activity, even good things. Serving is good. Serving is great. But when Jesus is in the house, don't go be in the bedroom serving, cleaning up something, getting things organized. Be before him. Make that the priority. This is something that we're to choose. We must also choose this in the way that Mary chose it. God will not force us to. And there's a significant cost that is involved in all of this because it takes time and effort and it's not convenient. We can't sit at the feet of Jesus on the go in our lives. You have to intentionally carve out time in your schedule to be before him. And until we see his glory and until we see the call to wholehearted love and we begin to touch it and flow in it, it begins to touch our hearts, then we'll just try and pencil Jesus in on the side. He's just in the pace of our life. We always intend to get to it tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll get to it. Tomorrow I'll sit at his feet. Tomorrow our our, I will carve out the time before work or before bed or whatever to be at the feet of Jesus. No, don't wait till tomorrow. Give your life to it now. Cross the line now. Determine in your own soul, I'm going to live with this Mary of Bethany heart. I'm gonna sit at his feet, regardless of the ridicule, regardless of the cost, regardless of what it looks like and who gets mad. This is the good part that won't be taken away. Go to page two. In Mark 14, we find this, another story of Mary, again, at the feet of Jesus. And there's some remarkable truths that come to us from this account here in Mark 14. Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon, and he sat at the table, and a woman came. We know this woman is Mary of Bethany. She had an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And we know that in today's economy, it's about the value of an entire year's worth of wages. And it would be very odd for a woman of Mary's social stature to have this at the time. And so most scholars believe that it was a family inheritance that was left, that her parents had died, that Lazarus was now taking care of the household, the older brother, and that she had been given from her parents this inheritance, which was to be her welfare, that she would live off the rest of her life. You could sell a little bit. You could sell it all at once. You could buy land. There are many things that you can do when you have something like this, this valuable. She's there in the house. You can imagine them talking and the disciples all talking and 
she comes in. She has this flask, this alabaster flask. Imagine everybody looking at her. What's this lady gonna do? You never know what's gonna happen in Christian meetings when somebody just shows up with an alabaster flask. <laughs> Please don't pour that on me, you know, whatever. She shows up and she breaks it. She breaks it open. I mean, the whole vessel, which the vessel itself made of alabaster was very valuable. She breaks it. She shatters it. It's the picture of her whole life. It's the picture of all her devotion, all of her affection. It's the picture of her future. It's the picture of the certainty of provision. She's so moved by who Jesus is. She goes, everything I am, everything in my past, my present, my future, she breaks it. She begins to pour it upon his head. You can imagine the whole room being filled with the aroma. It says in verse four, some of the disciples, they're indignant. Now they're angry. Earlier it was Martha, about a year before in Luke 10. Martha is angry at her because she's not serving in the way that she should be. And now she's not worshiping in the way she should be. See? They're indignant and they go, why is this oil Wasted. Mary, you've wasted it. You've blown it. You had a whole future in front of you. You had your provision. You had this inheritance. How could you possibly squander this on Jesus? I mean, we like Jesus, but come on. This is a little extravagant here. Getting a little carried away. It might have been sold. We could have given it to the poor. See, the sentiment, even the sentimentalizing of Christian teaching, which is to serve the poor, that begins to override the heart of extravagant devotion. We get so practical, so fast, that it actually stamps out the devotion that Jesus is inviting us into. They begin to criticize her. And it says they criticized her sharply. And these are mostly men from the picture. And so even the, you know, the social structure of the time, it was uncommon for a woman to be in front of a rabbi anyway in a house filled with men. They typically would have been serving the guests, not involved in, in the events and the drama of what was unfolding. So here's Mary and she's breaking this open, and they are criticizing her, it says, sharply. That means with precision and sting. There's a stigma, and they're just letting her have it in the midst of this event. Jesus answers in verse six. He says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. He goes, I want this. I want this woman's love. This is not just about the money. We can get more money. The poor you'll always have with you anytime that you wanna do good to the poor. They're gonna be right there. He goes, but me, you only have for this short amount of time. Leave her alone. She has done a good work for me. That, would, that word good that's there, a good work, can be translated as beautiful. She has done a beautiful work for me because it was first commandment. 
It was about loving God with all of her heart and all of her life. It didn't have a practical application in that moment except to anoint him for his burial. But it didn't help the poor. It didn't help the needy. It didn't answer the bills. The bills needed to be paid still. Her future is now all foggy and hazy. She has no provision and no income seemingly. So all that practical stuff has gone out the window. Jesus says her work, this is beautiful. It's the only thing in the gospels that Jesus calls beautiful. The love of Mary as she breaks the alabaster flask upon the master. Then listen to this in verse nine. He says, wherever this gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Wherever the gospel goes forth, wherever the good news of salvation goes forth, he says, what this woman has done should be told as a memorial. Do you know what that means? It means whenever we should preach the gospel, we should tell the story of Mary of Bethany. The Lord wants that in the equation. He doesn't just want the gospel to be the forgiveness of our sins and that we jolly well go on our way. He wants the message of the gospel to be infused with this radical, devoted love that's, that stings in the social setting, that isn't popular in the church, that isn't popular with, with her friends. He goes, this love, this is what I'm after. This is what I purchased. The, body, the Lord is gonna have across the earth. The body of Christ is gonna be made purified, made white before his coming holy and blameless, devoted in love like this, the fragrance of Mary's offering is gonna be the fragrance spread throughout the nations as men and women, old and young, begin to touch this radical devotion to the Lord before his coming. They begin to give their lives wholeheartedly to Jesus. They begin to just give it all up. I don't even, I don't want it. I don't love it. Lord, I'll do whatever you want with my resources, with my family, with my job. It's all yours. Let it be a fragrant offering before you. If you call me to break it, I'll break it. But my heart belongs to you in every season. Whether the season is good and plentiful or whether it's really difficult and challenging, whether I'm in a wilderness and a famine or I'm in a time of provision on the mountain, Lord, my heart belongs to you. I want it fully surrendered to you, every area, not just the percentage. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out. Paragraph F. Mary's devotion is remembered by others because God remembers, because it's a memorial before him. Let me ask you, is your life on a trajectory to be a memorial before God? And if not, could it be? Should it be? If we're all like Mary, just normal Christians trying to love God and love our families, could we have a memorial that has continuity in the age to come? Jesus said that her love can't be taken away from her. What about our love? Is it conditional? If our health were to go down, if we were to lose a loved one, if we were to lose a job or a ministry position, if we were to be demoted on a worship team, are despised in the eyes of others, would our love remain as a memorial before the Lord? Surrendered, fully given to him. Paragraph G, 
What are you wasting your life on? What are you wasting your life on? Every person is wasting their life, so to speak, on something. They're giving it to something. Your time, your energy, your money, your affections, we're all giving it somewhere, or all of us. And the Lord's calling us. He's looking out at this whole, this whole generation that we're living in. He's going, I want it. I want it all. I want your heart. I want your life. I want your marriage. I want your affections. I want your desires. I want your dreams. I want them all to be at my feet, poured out before me. This is what I want. It's the commandment of the Lord. You will love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Let's stand. Some of you, this is a new message. And the Lord is calling your heart. And there's an invitation this morning to cross that line and to say, you know what? I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to go grab the alabaster flask of my life. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how this affects my job, my family. Mary probably wasn't really sure about how it was going to affect and cascade through the rest of her life. She's never mentioned again in the Bible. But today, there's an invitation to take the alabaster flask of your life, all that you are, all that you represent, the good, the bad, your future, your past, all of it, and to break it on the head of Jesus and just surrender it all. Just say, Lord, you're worthy of it. You're worthy of it. I can't even take this stuff into the age to come anyway. You're worthy of it. I'm going to lose my life so I find it in you. You're worthy of it. My crown, I cast it before you. My honor, my reputation, the way I look. Criticism will come. It will come. But he's worthy. We get him forever. And our life is but a fleeting moment. We're like the grass that grows and then is mowed down. It's just a moment. Others of you, you've heard this message many times. This is your 10th time, 12th time, 100th time hearing this message. But you know that the heart gets so easily distracted. We just get one degree off in our souls, two degrees off. And our devotion of two years ago isn't the devotion of today because we've drawn back. We've gotten distracted. The Lord is calling us again. Let those words that the Holy Spirit spoke to you in that season past, let them awaken your soul again. Let them stir you. I wanna invite either of those groups up. This morning, you're crossing that line and you're going, I don't know what the future holds, but Jesus is worthy I'm going all the way. I want to invite you to come up to the front. Come and talk to the Holy Spirit up here. We have a ministry team that's ready to pray with you. You know, the grace of God to walk in wholehearted love comes when we determine to walk in wholehearted love. Let me say that again. God wants to help us walk in wholehearted love, but he won't help us until we determine I'm going to walk in wholehearted love. 
if we're just doing this, the grace of God in our life isn't gonna flow. It's not gonna happen. And then that second group, you just need the fire again. You need that devotion again. You need the, the tenderness again, the tears in the word of God again. It's been a while since you felt God. It's been a while since you cried in the word. It's been a while since you went into devotional time without an agenda just to sit at his feet. A lot of times we go into our devotional times with an agenda. God, give me this, bless this, heal this, give me more power for this, give me a new car, give me a better job. And there's a place of devotion. I'm not saying those things are bad. We want to bring our petition before heaven. But there's a place of come, sit at my feet, hear my words, just hear them. Let me talk to you. The Lord wants to wash us with his word and refresh us again. Holy Spirit, we ask you for your presence to come. We ask you that these hearts would be like fragrant offerings before you. The incense, just as the, the incense of Mary's offering filled the house, we ask that our hearts would fill the presence of the Lord, fill the throne room even now. That incense would arise before you, that you would release help, help to us. Help us, God, help us to love you in the way that you love us. Help us, bring revelation, bring whatever's necessary, bring humility. Help us love you with all of our heart, Lord. Let it be unto us in accordance with your word. Let your word gain entrance. Let it have access over our lives. Let our hearts be open, surrendered. You would have our all. Come Holy Spirit. I want to release our ministry team to just begin ministering up here. Leaders across the mission space, friendship group leaders, zone pastors, we need your help. If you're part of this spiritual family regularly, come up. We need your help to pray. We're praying this, Lord, touch these hearts with your love. Release the grace of the Holy Spirit. One thing is necessary. One thing. Truly great, I think you are my dearest friend. Lord, this is my desire. This is me. 
praise is loud. 